big shift happened in the early 90s. We were facing a, a, an existential crisis uh, because suddenly the market was, the big companies were coming into India. And you know, our talent pool uh, would not stay with us because they, they would have a choice of working for some large global brand. And we realized that unless we were also an aspirational brand, we couldn't really attract people. And so we had to think big, we had to think brand, we had to think infrastructure, we had to think scale. And that required us to change the way we operate. Hi, and welcome to the Insights Podcast series from Axel. I'm your host, Anand Daniel. Today, we have Nandan Nilakani, co-founder of Infosys and its current non-executive chairman. He's the brains behind building Aadhaar while being chairman of the Unique Identification Authority of India. Nandan, an IIT Bombay graduate, launched Infosys along with his co-founders in 1981 and worked to make it the giant it is today. He's a Padma Bhushan Award winner and was listed by Time magazine to be one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2006. In this episode, we'll hear the story of one of India's biggest business legends and learn from his experiences and insights, both in the business world as well as serving the greater good of the community by the initiatives he's done post his Infosys days. Let's dive right in. Thanks for doing this, Nandan. It's sure. a real pleasure to be here sure. at Step, and uh, welcome to the podcast. So, um, many people know your story uh, from Infosys days and onwards, but love to start from your early days. Where did you grow up? Some, what were the formative years of your life before sure. IIT? Well, I, I was actually born in Bangalore. I'm one of those rare people in Bangalore who was actually born here, <laughs> right here in Vani Vilas Hospital. And I went. I did my early schooling in Bangalore. Uh, I went to Bishop Cotton Boys School uh, right here, and then I moved to Dharwad, uh, which is uh, a smaller town. I did I finished my rest of my schooling and early college there. Uh, but the big break was when I got admission to IIT Bombay. So I went to IIT Bombay at the age of eighteen. How did you pre- prepare for IIT Bombay? IIT from Dharwad. Actually, that's a yeah. big thing because those days it was very uh, urban centric. Yeah. You know, uh, people in big cities would go to Agarwal class and this and that. Yeah. And, we didn't have access to all that. But I was fortunate that I had a number of cousins who had got into IIT. Mm-hmm. So I had their uh, uh, their uh, question books. So I, I, you know, I had a, we had a bunch of friends in Dharwad who all used hand-me-down question books. And, the Agarwal. And the yeah, we had all those books. So we yeah. practiced the... I had a, didn't have an effort. <laughs> I had the same books. Yeah, but yeah. it's about using them and preparing. So, so you, we had a yeah. sort of a study group who yeah. did this. and. We did pretty well. One guy went to IIT Kanpur, one guy went to IIT Delhi. So it, we didn't do badly. Okay. And uh, that, that's how I went from Dharwad to IIT Bombay. Bombay. And how was that transition? Like, that was quite, uh, quite yeah. uh, you know, it was difficult in sense, uh, you know, in the new world. But yeah. I think uh, a, a lot of my social skills and uh, confidence, mm-hmm. I think I gained from IIT. Because dealing with all so many diverse, very smart people. Uh, taking part in social activities. I was the general secretary of IIT Bombay, uh, organizing Mood Indigo. You know, all these things uh, built your skills. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at, uh, you know, my uh, IIT friends, the guys who were the most successful, but not necessarily the guys who got the highest grades. They were the guys who had built all-round uh, skills. And they, they knew how to navigate, in yeah. short. So I think navigation skills is what I learned. Got it. And from your Darwad days, any, any life skills that were important? No, I, th- I think uh, it was an interesting experience for me because I was, uh, you know, uh, I, at the age of 12, I moved from my 
staying with my parents to my uncle's house. Mm. So I think I, I learned a fair amount of independence, you know, uh, because uh, uh, you know I was on my own in some sense, and I think that that gave me a lot of independence and uh, self confidence. And self motivation to study, yeah, prepare right. everything, and then IIT prepared you. So from there to starting Infosys, walk us through that journey. Yeah, Shanti. so uh, I was again. It was a uh, it was a big coincidence. Uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I uh, you know the usual thing in those days was you go to do an MBA, join some IIM, and uh, or go abroad and do something. So I I, I was on that route, uh, but to do I had some reason and I couldn't take the IIM CAT or whatever it was called in those days. And I sort of uh, started doing my applications, but uh, you know I didn't really pursue it. Uh, I think I was quite uh, desultory about it. And then I heard about this uh, company, uh, which was in the business of uh, selling mini computers. So what happened in this was remember in '77, IBM had uh, left India because remember that George Fernandez, IBM left, Coke left, and so on. And there was the rise of the mini computers, the Digital Equipment Corporation, Data General. So there was an agency in Bombay, Patni, which was the agent for Data General. And I heard about all these online computers and they were looking for software guys. And those days software was one of the professions where you didn't have to know anything to get into software. Right? So which year was this? Uh, uh, early 79. 79, okay. And I walked into the room of uh, Mr. Narayan Murthy and uh, he asked me a few questions and he gave me a job. That's mm -hmm. how I got my job. Okay. So I worked with him and a few others uh, at Patni for a couple of years. And then uh, under the leadership of uh, Narayan Murthy, we felt there was a need to create a professional software company. So all of us left and started Infosys in 81. How many of, how many founders? Seven of us. Seven. So that's not uh, atypical also, or typical, like it's, it's not common to have so many founders. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, in, you know, we remember that it was a services business. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, yeah, we, yeah, but it was good. I think it worked very well. Yeah. How did you split the roles among the seven? Oh, people? I think initially, yeah. in fact, uh, Mr. Murthy stayed back in India. Yeah. The rest of us worked at client locations uh, in the US. Okay. And then over time, uh, first 10 years, we did many multiplicity of roles. This is from 80 to 90? 81 to 91. 81 to 91, okay. And what happened was uh, around the late 80s, early 90s, I think uh, there was a lot of uh, changes in our environment. Mm -hmm. The first thing was, uh, you know, economic liberalization, mm -hmm. right? So the, the 91, 91 uh, economic reforms began, yeah. and so India was became a more market-friendly kind of a place. The second thing was technology enabled you to do remote development. Mm -hmm. You know, the first Earth station came here in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. In fact, in Bangalore, it came up in Sonata Towers on Miller Road, and Texas Instruments really set up that place, and that showed that you could actually sit in India and work on a computer abroad mm -hmm. using satellite connections. Mm -hmm. And then the STP was set up, the mm -hmm. Software Technology Park of India. Yeah. It's a great, very successful government of India program. And the second earth station came to Electronic City. Okay. So now it made it feasible to actually do development across the world. Third thing was uh, the currency became easier, foreign exchange became change. easier. Then the STP Park gave tax benefits for software companies, so they could set up is uh, uh, software technology parks and get a tax-free status for multiple years mm -hmm. and then clients started coming here. Jack Welch came to India in the late 80s and he was very impressed with the talent here and he said let's let's source software from here. Cool. So markets opened up, uh, uh, economy liberalized, currency became easier, the technology, technology made it possible and, of, and you know the tax benefit, duties were brought down 
So I think everything worked and that's when we built India's first software campus in Electronic City on a five acre site in 1992. And that was again ahead of the curve and then we went public in India in 1993. Uh, and that, at that time we were still a you know, three to five million dollar revenue company. But then we were able to set our heights, sites high and uh, go for a scale. So I want to come to the public and then scaling in a minute. But if you look back at the first 10 years, that's that's a long period. 12 Most years. Between 12 years. 12 years between company formation and IPO. IPO. So, and you, you funded it yourself, yeah. bootstrapped it and talk us through those days. Right? Well, you know, we're talking about an era where first of all, doing business in India was difficult. It yeah. would take two years to get a phone connection. Uh, it was not a market friendly environment. It was, you know, pre-liberalization. Infrastructure was very poor. It was a currency starved environment. So we actually had to go to the central bank to get money for every trip that we made abroad. And uh, so it was a difficult environment. And uh, we also, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, it, it was, there was no concept of winner take all, J curve, mm -hmm. all this stuff we talk about. Yeah. And there was no capital ecosystem. There were no angel investors, there was no venture capitalists, there's no PE guys. The bank won't lend. The banks won't lend. Yeah. So I think it was a very different world. So you really grew very, very gradually. But we all had faith in ourselves and faith in the business. So that's how we were able to stick What it was out. the vision at that time? Vision was always that to build a globally competitive uh, technology company out of India okay. and serve the world. Got it. And the first 10 years, what what did you go through as a founder? What did you focus on? How did you? Well, I, I, I was, uh, a lot of that time I was spent in the US, mm -hmm. including on sales and so on. So I was doing a lot of the market facing. Uh, plus I was also doing projects. So I was doing both projects and market facing. And this is all self-taught. Sales you yeah, taught yeah. yourself. Yeah, in, yeah. I have no degree. In, I don't have <laughs> an MBA. I don't have a sales degree. Yeah. So I learned on the job. Yeah. Two years in and then just kept knocking at doors, yeah. winning customers. And no. you brought Jack Welch to India. No, I didn't make that. Okay. Yeah. Jack Welch came on his on own. On his own. Okay. In fact, Jack Welch came before Infosys. Jack okay. Welch came in 87 or something. Okay. And he came exploring India as a place for his products. Got it. Yeah. But he was so impressed with the technological capability here. Yeah. It also became a big sourcing destination for them. Got it. Okay. And in this phase, so global technology leader is one thing, but did you have also, you've talked in other places about setting audacious goals and, and yeah. going after, how did you go? No, I think the big shift happened in the early 90s because okay. uh, in some sense, we were facing a, a, an existential crisis mm -hmm. uh, because suddenly the market was, the big companies are coming into India. And you know, our talent pool uh, would not stay with us because they, they would have a choice of working for some large global brand. And we realized that unless we were also an aspirational brand, we couldn't really uh, attract people. And so we had to think big, we had to think brand, we had to think infrastructure, we had to think scale. And that required us to change the way we operate. Mm. So I think we professionalized ourselves. We went from a company just run by a bunch of founder entrepreneurs to a company which went professional, hired great talent, uh, external talent like Mohandas Pai for finance or Hemaravichanda for uh, HR, uh, built-in systems, strategy, budgeting, uh, performance management, training. So I think that shift from an entrepreneurial organization to a company designed for scale and realizing that our roles have to change, mm -hmm. that was actually a huge thing. And part of that was future planning, saying that what, will, what do we want to be three years from now? What do you want to be five years from now? And setting audacious goals. 
and using those audition also unlock the way we did things give us an example of an audition so like for example yeah. when we were uh, very small 3 yeah. 5 million dollars we talked about being a 100 million dollar company okay and this is revenue yeah, yeah in revenue and all revenue i'm not talking about market cap <laughs> okay yeah. uh, no this yeah. is not current model of yeah. measures right yeah. uh, revenue yeah and then when you approaching 100 million we said what does it mean to be a billion dollars in revenue wow how so, long did it take to get to 100 million uh i, I think it took us 4 uh, 5 years okay 3 to 5 million to 100 million in 4 yeah. 5 years yeah. Yeah, forget exactly which year what happened. Got it. That's fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah maybe, so you planned uh, every you, six years, whatever. So when you say scaling, cannot uh, you had to plan for the scale? Yeah. So right? scaling is yeah. a, our experience of scaling is not an afterthought. Okay. It's not that you somehow get to scale. Yeah. You have to think scale. Mm. And I applied that subsequently to many other things I do. Mm. Think large scale, and then when, and that's a mind game. You actually think okay, what will this company look at that scale like? How many customers will it have? In your case, how many say the B two C? How many consumers will I have? Uh, how will I reach them? What is my unit economics to reach them? What is the infrastructure I need to reach them? What kind of marketing, sales, and distribution I need? Think through every piece of the business at that scale, and then you realize, my God, if if I'm going to be doing that five years from now, I better start now. So it's a way to get back to today's decisions with a view of the future. and make the calls and make some the of these could be hard calls yeah and make some hard calls yeah. maybe it's changing priorities yeah. maybe it's reshuffling investment plans yeah. all that but you're doing it from a mind game got it and what's a good time period to plan 3 years 5 uh, years uh, we had three horizons we okay. would plan uh, and it were done very formally okay i just i'm talking about like yeah long back 93 yeah, yeah 93 to 2000 right? yeah uh, we had uh, one year plans yeah which were very focused on budgets revenue margins so yeah. that was all and then at the other end we had a five year sort of blue sky thinking you know where will we be in five years where will the economy be where will the world be where will technology be and therefore what do we need to get there and a three year much more detailed plan so five year blue sky three year strategic plan one year operating plan and this is something that you came up with or someone in the team had done this before or how did you go no i mean, I mean people are talking about three horizons yeah, planning yeah, and all yeah. that but uh, in fact uh, a colleague of mine who works now with me at yeah. step called yeah. sanjay purohit was uh, the head of corporate strategy and planning at that time so he actually did a lot of the detailing of this got it okay. problem it was fresh stuff yeah we didn't have any There was no one to, yeah, nothing. And so, emphasis was the trendsetter at this yeah. time, right? So, and so that is the initial phase. We can call it zero to ten, and then from ten to hundred, go going that part. Any any major changes that happened uh, after you went public? Went no, no. I think the going public also was important because uh, we built infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, by building India's first uh, software campus, I think it was a signal to our customers that we are here to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, and people came and visited us. They were they were amazed at the infrastructure we had. It showed that we were putting our money where our mouth is. That we were infrastructure. And and you know, Murthy always believed in education and training. Mm-hmm. So we invested hugely in education and training. Mysore campus. Mysore campus. First Bangalore campus, then okay. Mysore campus. Okay. And and the belief that uh, you know, bright people can be trained to do anything uh, you know you want. Got it. So that was important. At that time, if I remember, there were there was also stuff competition, cognizance, and others, and and the, and also churn, and all these used to be. So how did you look at the competitive landscape? And no, I I think uh, competition, of course, they were very yeah. successful Indian companies, yeah. and even today they are successful companies, yeah. Uh, yeah. and they were global companies. Yeah. Uh, Finally, but it was see, 
but the market was huge. Yeah. So the challenge was how do we get customers and how do we retain employees. Okay. So that's why we became did a lot of effort in being the best company to work for. Mm -hmm. So putting in a lot of uh, training or infrastructure or opportunities. Yeah. So a lot of systematic uh, things to become the most be best employer. Yeah. Uh, things like that. Yeah. And this is twenty six years later, two thousand nineteen. Had a someone young person who joined Infosys and was so happy. That he had joined, so it's the legacy stayed on. So yeah, congrats yeah. on that. So um, I, th I think that's that's beautiful from the Infosys journey. Any other learnings? Uh, would love to come back to that, but I want to shift to the post Infosys world. Yeah, I think I think one last any, thing I'll talk about. Sure. I think the fact that we invested in building our own brand for the market. Yeah, that is very important. Your own brand for the market. Yeah, okay, for yeah. building the market. But we are a B two B business. Yeah, not a B two C business. Yeah. Even then, building the Infosys brand. And, and getting it out there as a known brand to the world's large companies as a as a partner of, of consequence. I think that was an important decision that we took in those days, and we systematically built our own brand globally. And you did hit our hundred million and billion, and kept going from yeah, there. Also, twelve billion. Twelve billion. Wow. Okay. So hopefully, the we still talk about the first wave of IT and the revolution there in which right now in the product phase. No, I, I have a feeling that it's all coming together because, uh, you know, you know, we, we have this distinction. We said there are service companies yeah. and there are product companies. But actually today what I feel is happening is product and services merging into platform or SaaS companies. Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, even today's product company is actually SaaS platform companies, right? And therefore, and the cloud is changing everything. So for us also, it's for Infosys today, it's about taking our services and re reimagining them as cloud services. So it's all it's all coming together in some sense. Yeah. Today's world of cloud is changing the way we think about service delivery. Got it. Okay. And when did you uh, decide that it's time to move on from Infosys? How old were you then? And well, how, uh, what was your thinking? Yeah, that? yeah. So yeah. I was actually CEO from 2002 to 2007. Okay. And then I became the co-chairman. Yeah. So, and then and I'd always been interested in public service because yeah. I'd done a lot of things, the Bangalore Agenda Task Force and so on. And then uh, an opportunity came when uh, the government asked me to uh, uh, join them after the 2009 election, mm -hmm. which was the second term of the UPA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, actually when they approached me, it was for the job of HRD minister mm -hmm. because uh, they wanted someone who, who could change the whole education of this in the country, bring some out of the box thinking. But I think then I think sort of more caution prevalent. They said, How can this guy who's not a politician from Bangalore, how can he come and do this education? Mm -hmm. So that didn't work out. Though it almost was down to the wire, down to the day of the cabinet decision. And then uh, they offered me something at the planning commission, which I said, I don't want to be sitting, be some planning commission guy. And then I had, uh, you know, then this, uh, finally we converged on this ID project as a thing. Other. Yeah, so that's how uh, I, and I thought, you know, I, in my book also, Imagining India, I talked about the need for digital ID. Yeah. So I had a sense that this was a very powerful idea. And that, uh, so I thought, why not take this? It's a, it's a technology enabled thing, so it plays to my strengths. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, it's, you know, it, it, it's time bound. I can measure success. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not vague. And uh, it's, it, I, I felt it was strategic. So finally, that was the thing. And uh, then and I, you know, my Infosys colleagues were very generous. They said, yeah, yeah, 
you're doing something for the country, then you should go ahead. Mm-hmm. So I, I retired from Infosys. Uh, this is I was 54 years old. Okay. So yeah. Uh, so I then then I pushed off, and it was a challenges on multiple fronts. Right? I was going from the private sector into government. Mm-hmm. I was going from Bangalore to Delhi. I was going from running a company of 100,000 people or being part of running a company to doing a startup. Mm-hmm. I was employee number one of this organization. So while you might be in government, mm-hmm. what matters is what you are doing. And I was employee number one of the UIDA app. So it was like doing a startup at 54, mm-hmm. you know, and in the government. So, and then how did you go about it? Like, what was the initial phases of Well, you know, yeah. obviously like every other startup, I said, how do we create a great team? Yeah. And I, I worked on that and I realized that I had to create a team that was uh, amalgamation of uh, government talent and, and tech talent. I couldn't do it just with government, uh, you know, people from within the government. Nor could I do it with Only just technologies because this is the intersection. And so uh, I did that separately in the sense I, I approached a friend of mine who called KP Krishnan who is now Secretary of Skill Development and who is like an encyclopedia of the government, uh, he knows exactly who who joined where, which service and what are their strengths and he gave me a lot of references and so my core government team came entirely from his references. Mm. So Ram Sevak Sharma was number two, uh, employee number two at UIDA. Mm was an IAS officer from the Jharkhand cadre, IIT Kanpur, MS in Computer Science from the University of California, did programming as a hobby on weekends. Mm. You know, so, like, <laughs> so what kind of guy is this yeah. IAS officer who does programming? Yeah. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Today he's the chairman of TRAI. Okay. So he 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 is anyway, very unusual guy because he could take risks. You know, bureaucrats often tend to be risk averse. Mm-hmm. This guy is more bindas as they say. He could take risks. So he was my ally. Mm-hmm. He joined, and frankly, you know, the credit of actually getting it done goes to him because mm-hmm. I, I sort of managed the environment. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who actually got it done. Mm-hmm. Then I had a lady called Ganga who retired as the deputy CAG. Mm-hmm. Uh, she uh, she was our CFO, finance. Mm-hmm. And then I got a guy called Srikar who's currently commercial tax of head of commercial tax in uh, Karnataka as my PS. And I I I I, I deliberately made sure that I had a great team from the government mm-hmm. because I, I didn't know anything about government. I don't know how to move a file. Mm-hmm. And very important that I had a strong team that could deal with the system. And that was on the government side. And on the private sector side, Shrikan Nadamuni, I worked with him on uh, EGAO. He came as the head of technology. Mm-hmm. Pramod Varma, who had worked with me at Infosys and then gone to an Infosys spin-off. Great architect. He came and became chief architect. Sanjay Yoshi lined up from Google. Uh, you know, uh, Sanjay Jain landed from Google. Cool. So suddenly, and Vivek Raghavan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, IIT Delhi, PhD, Carnegie Mellon, serial entrepreneur, brilliant guy, he landed up. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, all these guys, many, many people landed up. They didn't land up, you sold them a vision and they all came. No, so you're, no, whatever. I mean, yeah. I signed them up. Signed them up. But I mean, yeah. they also, yeah. it, it's a lot of a serendipity, you know. Right, mean, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so, he, so I had this team. Yeah. Amazing bureaucrats, yeah. rock solid, high integrity, mm-hmm. performance driven bureaucrats, mm-hmm. and I had this team of great technology guys mm-hmm. who had built world class systems in their life. And these guys could do anything they want. Mm-hmm. They could have done startups, they could have jumped. The sky, they were, the world was at their feet. Yeah. And then I had to blend these two groups together mm-hmm. to create 
one unified group with a mission to get ID done. Mm -hmm. That was the hard part because there are two different cultures. Mm -hmm. The culture of bureaucracy is different from the culture of uh, you know startups. Tech, yeah. Tech is about, but and both have their strengths, both have their weaknesses. Yeah. Don't think that one yeah, is better than the other. So my job was to blend this together mm -hmm. and set such an audacious goal mm -hmm. that people didn't have too many differences. And they had differences there. There's somebody, I had to do, I, I was really like the guy sort of brokering this yeah. thing, right? Making sure that it all worked. And we deliberately kept the administrative political team in Delhi and the tech team in Bangalore. Okay. Because I wanted the tech guys in Bangalore to work without, you know, without uh, worrying about sure. Delhi, yeah. what, what's happening. Mm -hmm. In Delhi, we ran the whole uh, business side of it, the government side. So we, and we used to do reviews every two weeks in Bangalore on the technology side. Mm -hmm. Every Friday we would come here and do a tech review. So I think bringing these two groups together and then blending it to the best of what is possible was a huge part of the success of Mata. Mm -hmm. okay. so it's all about yeah. getting a startup team, getting the right talent, blending them into one team, setting a big goal. Well, same, yeah. Yeah. You make it sound simple, but it's such a big chasm that most people don't. The public, private companies, the public life, right? So, um, so we'd love to hear how do you, how did you? And then you've talked about thinker, doer, that framework. Maybe talk to us a little bit yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so, so, yeah. So, yeah. So you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, maybe, you know, I, yeah. I, I like to think that I'm in a unique spot. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that life gave me that opportunity, which is. Uh, Think of it as a 4x4 four four matrix, right? Uh, you can be a thinker or a doer. Yeah. That's one one axis. And you can be a thinker, you can you can do this in the private sector or in the public sector. Yeah. So most people are in one quadrant. So a thinker in the public sector, say, is an economist. Mm -hmm. A thinker in the private sector is a management prof. Mm -hmm. So they will think about, right? A doer in uh, a private sector is a CEO. Mm -hmm. A doer in the public sector is a, a minister or a bureaucrat. But normally people are in one of these four compartments. I've had the unique opportunity to be in all four things, right? So as a doer, you know, being part of the founding team of Infosys, running Infosys. So that's all the doing part. Yeah. Even today I'm the chairman of Infosys. That's the private sector doing. And the doing part in government was being the chairman of UID and creating a billion dollar plan, billion mm -hmm. user platform. Yeah. But there's also a thinker part, mm -hmm. which is, you know, for example, uh, you know, my conversations with uh, Tom Friedman led to the world is flat, which yeah. was actually a defining idea in 2005. What it really changed the world about yeah. what's all happening, right? Or, or the presentation I did uh, in uh, 2015 on the WhatsApp movement in Indian finance, which basically changed people's thinking about how technology was disrupting you know, financial services. So that these are all thinker elements of private sector mm -hmm. disruption. And in the public sector, of course, I've, I've done two books on change, Imagining India, Rebooting India. So that's more how society development changes. So, so basically my work has been thinker, doer in both private and public. Mm -hmm. Because I've sort of played in all the four quadrants, mm -hmm. I have a unique, I think, more holistic understanding of things, yeah. of change, of how to, you know, how to get a thing done in a 
uh, the company, how to get things done in government. I know, I know both these things. Yeah. So I think that's that's been uh, for me a great opportunity. So the advantage of that is when I look at a new thing, mm -hmm. I can look at it from all these angles. Mm -hmm. That helps. Yeah. And and is this how did you develop this? Like uh, is is this natural or no, did you push you yourself and or more from the founders who are listening? Yeah. Even sticking the private sector to go or or the public sector like to come up with an idea of UID. Right, well, let's be yeah. fair. Yeah. The UID was a project which already existed in the system. Yeah. Very well crafted. The UID was very well crafted. Yeah. So it's I didn't start that. I started with a piece of paper which said cabinet has approved the UID. Mm. So I started from there. Sure. But the definition of what is the UID was done before me and done very well. I must say. You today when I look at the document and say what a brilliant way of so it is done before me. But the I think question is how do I do this is because one is generally I have less fear of failure okay you know so when you have less fear of failure and when you are welcoming of change then it's easier to do more things mm -hmm. so you know then I'm not stuck in my status quo you know I so I can I can for now that skill has reduced I can move from my comfort zone and do something new mm -hmm. so I think that's part of the fact that I could give up a job, comfortable job, I had a corner office, mm -hmm. had a golf course next to me, I, I didn't have to do that, I spent the rest of my life just going to my corner office, but but I think that sort of uh, desire to do something new, something of impact, yeah. uh, and willing to live with the uncertainty and ambiguity mm -hmm. of a complete change in my uh, environment, is really, I mean, I, I can do that. So. Is that something that you pushed yourself to do, like, or and you've been always doing uh, from Infosys days yeah, onwards, yeah. and slowly? Yeah, generally, I'm, you know, I, I generally I, I, I can do new things. Yeah. Generally, uh, but and I'll come to where that formula yeah. has failed also. Yeah. Come in a minute. Uh, so I think the fact that I'm curious and willing to try new things, mm -hmm. willing to learn, mm -hmm. is a big part of it. But where this formula failed was when I tried stood for elections. Mm -hmm. I lost the election. I realized that. Actually, my I thought I was capable of being adaptable to different things, mm -hmm. but actually I was not adaptable to politics mm -hmm. because the skills I needed in politics were not my skills. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that while you should try new things, you should look at your basic fundamental advantages and still play to your strengths. Don't play to your weaknesses. Got it. Okay. So the two main points, just to summarize, the thinker doer and also no fear of failure or, or minimizing that yeah getting out of your comfort zone getting out of your comfort zone knowing your skills and stepping yeah. out completely yeah. and maybe let's flip it around as you see founders or as you reflect back where do you see what are those common mistakes thinker do or not or, or on the failure side yeah yeah see i think uh, you know uh, you know obviously if you are to be a founder you have to be a doer yeah right? and because execution uh, execution is very important yeah and, you know, I, i'm a big fan of execution execution at scale, at speed, meticulousness, all that. So there's no issue there. Sure. But execution without a strategic framework is also not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So the thinking comes in defining the strategic framework of where you want to go, how you want to go there, and then converting that into the steps to execute to that goal. Mm -hmm. So that's how the thinker doer helps, being able to visualize an end game or visualize a, some audacious goal and being able to segment that and execute that into a sequence of activities and and also to prioritize them saying this should be done now and that should be done. 
that comes, you know, after you do it for a long time, that comes instinctively. Mm -hmm. So that ability is all, I think, required for a founder to do to, to be able to switch. Any practical tips on how you do it? Do you carve out time? There are people who go out think for a week or any. No, no, I spend a lot of time thinking. Okay, that is true. Uh, no, you just visualize the future. Okay, going back to your CEO days or the yeah. founder days or or the UID days. Yeah. So how do you, yeah, you because that's the chaos of execution. Yeah, yeah. How do you extract yeah, from that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you should absolutely be execution focused, mm -hmm. but not only be execution focused. So mm -hmm. things to step back mm -hmm. and get time or think or whatever. But also always think about what is the end game look like? Mm -hmm. Where do I want to be? You know, whether it's whether I want to be a billion dollar revenue company or whether I want to have half a billion people on Aadhaar in five years, whatever my goal is. Don't deviate from that and that should be the laser focus on that goal. You know, so in your mind, everything you do should relate back, how is this activity going to get me to that goal? Mm -hmm. So I may do a lot of tactical things every day, but finally I should be able to say, this thing I did today ultimately will lead to that goal. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed from the few observations, uh, chances, you're a very clear thinker, you know, very clearly, okay, this is towards that goal and do it. And if not, let me not do it. Like yeah. making those calls. Yeah, right? yeah. So being, yeah I, I think, you know, yeah. being uh, frugal with your time. Yeah. Uh, I have this uh, statement that I'm generous with my time. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm generous with my money, mm. but frugal with my time. Mm. You know? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, yeah. you know, at some point, beyond a point, money you can, you know, you don't need it, you can give it away. Yeah. And you can, if you, you can make it, yeah. yeah you can make more of it, you can all that. Yeah. But time is a, it's a perishable resource. Yeah. Time is, you're eating up time. Yeah. And and when you want to get a lot done, yeah. you can't afford to fritter away your time. Yeah. Whereas you can afford to write a check for something, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm always generous with money and frugal with my time. God, that's a very good point. So this, this great learning. Maybe as you reflect back, what are some of the, Things that have helped you, like grow any resources, resources that, uh, or people, mentors. How you gone about, like as you scaled as a founder? Any? Yeah, no, I think uh, I'm always uh, open to learning from other people, okay. and I've had great learning. I mean, Aran Moti himself was a terrific mentor. He's a terrific mentor at Infosys. Mm -hmm. Then I've learned from people like uh, Sam Pitrada on the public front, what he did. I've worked with them. I've seen political and business leaders from around the world, uh, Bill Gates. I've seen them at very close quarters. So I've worked with all these guys, all these people. So, you know, I think thanks to my situation, I've encountered or met with great leaders. And I always look at how they conduct themselves, uh, how they prioritize, what is the, how they, how they, what is the way they look at a problem. And I, those, I find them very, 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 you know, very useful like you know last few weeks back i was at an event with bill gates warren buffett you, know, you name it ted turner mm -hmm. all that and each of them i you know i learned something from observing them or so i'm i'm always curious to learn from other people so i, I mean, so so for me mentorship is like continuous i'm always learning from other people yeah so just going back for this part alone to your infosys days so you set audacious goals went after them and that phase was it more just doing the journey and learning from that or whether any resources or, or things that you did, maybe reading a lot of books? I'm just no, throwing out ideas. One, one, one thing is, yeah. I think, and maybe it's a problem I have, is I have a fear of becoming irrelevant. And I think for many people, 
that is also irrelevant the big thing right because if you if you become irrelevant then nobody takes you seriously yeah. so for me always is about how do i make sure that i remain relevant and if i have to be relevant i have to be on top of things keep learning no i i can't be mm-hmm. i can't rest, rest on my laurels just because some 10 years back i did something you know so i always it's a problem in some my wife thinks it's a problem <laughs> i'm always have this pressure to be relevant to keep on top of things to learn new things to be curious and you'll say why why are you doing this you're 64 years old you know you've done everything you know, why don't you chill out and you know chill out somewhere i can't do it i have to keep myself going and this is all through your career yeah and you know my friend uh, my dear friend tom friedman is alive yeah tom friedman is around my age he still writes two columns a week he still writes a book every 2 3 years same thing he just he keeps doing it so i think i think there's this thing about being relevant being relevant and by that you mean staying open to learning new things you have to right? if, I have to, if yeah. i have to you know i mean if i if i have to meet a, a startup founder yeah. i have to be relevant to uh, what is the value for him to meet me yeah. if i can say i will go there or if i have to meet the ceo of a fortune 100 company yeah. he should see value in my, in meeting me or if i meet the president of a country yeah. he should see value in meeting me right yeah. he'll only see value if i am relevant yeah and you're one of the few people in the world who can you in casually in one sentence you put three different well, startup founders ceos and then political leaders like the flex, flexibility to go up and down yeah, yeah. and i think uh, maybe you'd love to hear your thoughts uh, you're always open to learn from anyone else from the few observations and very extremely humble for what all you have achieved do you think is that one of the important aspects oh, absolutely. of the right? well, I mean, for the young founders yeah, yeah. Think, right? no i, I think I think first of all yeah. when I, when I look at founders yeah. right I look see I think to me one is they should be egoless your ego should come from your achievement building a decacorn or whatever you call them yeah. is an achievement ego should not come from interaction mm-hmm. you should always be humble and willing to learn and not think you know all the answers mm-hmm. that to me is very important second is to me a great founder is one who's building for the long term you know, the biggest thing in this game is deferred gratification you know you don't but if you want instant gratification then you you know you get some money you know but you won't get big time yeah. so i think deferred gratification being humble wanting to build an institution for the future mm-hmm. to me those are the founders that i i i i would respect institution being they want to really they want to yeah. Yeah. i mean i mean like uh, you know my friend uday kota yeah. every time i talk to him i realize this guy is talking about institutions you know he, he's been at it he's built it amazing company bank you know, not just bank is built this amazing financial services for us and what is his ambition mm-hmm. his ambition is to create a company like goldman sachs or jp morgan mm-hmm. that's ambition that's thinking big that's thinking big yeah. so you know when you meet guys like that you realize these guys are like like you know so i want i want founders like that yeah what's your read on you spend time with founders nowadays like how how they how's the indian startup ecosystem you no know, i think uh, they they they're very good they're very sophisticated good understanding of the new world not all of them necessarily think uh, as long term as i would like them to think uh, and i think uh, institution building is also about bringing in great other leaders spreading the power 
and some of them don't seem to do that well. They still run effectively one-man shows. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's you can't scale with that. Beyond a point, I've seen this across the world. Mm -hmm. All the great companies, the leaders learn how to delegate. The leaders learn how to empower. The leaders share the glory. Mm -hmm. Then you can build a great institution. That's great. Maybe the last question is any message for. The founders listening in your views on India, uh, like the current situation. No, know? it's very exciting. Yeah. You know, uh, I must tell you that I, I I didn't I didn't really engage with the startup world till 2014, 2015 actually, yeah. because Infosys I was too busy. And in any case, Infosys we had a rule we don't do anything else but Infosys. Mm -hmm. so we just did that. And then when I joined the government, obviously I couldn't do startup. Mm -hmm. So my startup career only began, you know, four or five years back. Mm -hmm. So I'm a newbie to the startup world. Uh, but I think uh, I'm very excited and uh, I think my passion is out of these literally hundreds of startups, I want to see the next generation of Kodak Bank, next HDFC, the next Infosys, the next TCS, you know, the real solid companies that are big in the whatever the chosen sector is, which, which have billions of dollars of revenue, which create jobs, which, which are really market leading players. I'd like to see that happen. And India's economy and the... I'm very bullish in yeah. a sense, uh, you know, India is a $2 trillion economy going to go to 5-6 trillion in the next 10-12 years. I think a consumer-led activity, consumer-led. I think India's digitization is unique, yep. you know, smartphones, the geo and all this telecom, Aadhaar, India stack, uh, you know, data empowerment. All these things, there's nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. So, so marrying the unique technological strengths we have and the digital platforms we have with the billion users and their growing consumption is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. On that very positive note, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nandan. He talks about his journey from the town of Darwad to IIT Bombay, starting Infosys and setting up India's very own digital ID, the Aadhaar card. Hope you all enjoyed the podcast and that you get the opportunity to apply these insights in your own startup journey. <music>